What's up, guys? Welcome to Fitter Food Radio. This is episode 156, and it's me, Matt Whitmore, with Keris Marsden, would you believe? Hello. No change there? No. Never changes. It's just the same old thing. <laughs> day in, day out. <laughs> <sighs> <laughs> On every level at the moment, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's a bit, a bit repetitive, isn't it, life? <laughs> Oh well. Speaking to a friend, I'm, a, I'm happy though. Are, are, are you happy? I'm fine. Yeah, but I was speaking to a friend the other day. It was like, there's no change because they're all working at home. There's no change between the weekday and the weekend. Like, no. How do you how do you make it a little bit different? There is for us because I still work less at the weekend. Mm. Oh but yeah. I do think we like without going out anywhere or having a commute or whatever. I think you kind of need to have a little mini party before dinner on a Friday, like get so the just music to like on, you yeah. know. Let it be known. Get some ginger beer it is, out. It's the weekend. <laughs> yeah. That's how exciting my life is, it's ginger beer. But you could almost, you know, like, you could Zoom people if you can't go and see them, but, like, do it at the time that you would normally... Yeah. It's a good point, to be fair, because... But I suppose, in a way, like, we've we've said this before, like, we're probably slightly better equipped for this because we, you know... We work from home. We work from yeah. home for a long time pre-lockdown. Anyway, so for us, it's just not been that much of a transition. Whereas I'd imagine if you were kind of Monday to Friday commuting, working in an office, yeah, yeah, big change. you know, to then obviously the weekend, you're not in the office, you're at home, it's you time, family time, whatever. You know, you, like you say, there's that clear divide, isn't there? Like yeah. this is the work, this is my working day, this is my weekend. But yeah, no, you're right. I don't, I'd say that's one of the biggest struggles, I'd imagine, for a lot of people. And I think if you did it collectively, so like said to everyone, let's let's jump on a Zoom with a glass of something and some snacks at 5.30 like we would do in the pub, I think you'd all stay a bit more accountable to it. Whereas That's hilarious. What? No one's going to do that. But the thing is, at the moment, everyone keeps saying jump on Zoom late at night and that, that's like the worst time, well, it's the worst time for me personally because we have to get up so early. But I just think then you are less likely to do it because things get in the way like kind of like kids routines you can't True. be bothered <laughs> it doesn't have True. the same draw does it as going to meet somebody half the time so or what, the obligation what are we doing what are we doing this friday night then <laughs> so i think to celebrate the end of the work week so i think at five o'clock it should be like music goes on maybe change of outfit <laughs> oh yeah. yeah get get spruced up get a drink get some snacks to go to yeah. the dining room yeah <laughs> <laughs> But <laughs> <laughs> some groups. You should explain that you were dancing then, because it sounds I was, a bit yeah. wrong. <laughs> I was dancing, clicking my fingers, getting right into it. Actually, I see what you mean. I'm gonna do this on Friday. Get me see, in the mood. Little dance off, and then yeah, and then we progress to the lounge for dinner and a film. Brilliant. There sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> and that little I'm, dance in the dining room was just I'm, enough. I'm, I'm excited already. To separate the week, the week, and the weekend. The only thing I, I just don't know. That I can both get dressed up though, because I just stay in my jimmies. <laughs> well, some people have been doing that though, haven't they? They've been what? doing like staying go, in go, the jimmies. Yeah, go, no, go through your wardrobe and like start wearing your outfits because actually you're never going to wear those clothes again. You know, like when you know it could be a good year before you get to wear your out yeah. clothes. Well, I, I mean, I've kind of had a massive sort out of like my clothes. I mean, because even before lockdown, like I wasn't really wearing them anyway because I kind of rotate the same the same yeah. clothes. Like you know, I am in gym kit pretty much most of the time. But even in terms of like my going out out clothes, I kind of have like about three pairs of jeans that I wear, uh, or you know a handful of t-shirts or shirts, and it's and the others is just that classic like 
oh, you know, I probably will wear it. And then it just doesn't happen. Yeah, I, I kind of yeah, stick yeah. to what I know. I've got a really posh coat that I never, ever wear, hardly. And I said to you, but there'll just be that one event, that one dinner party or wedding or something that's in the colder months where I'm like, I need that posh coat. Oh, but part yeah. of like, I haven't worn it for two years. How many times has that happened in your life, honestly? <laughs> like when you, you throw something out, not even just clothes, just an item, an object. Yeah, and you need and it. And you then, lo and behold, a matter of weeks later, you need it. It's yeah. been there for years, not touched. Yeah, yeah. Tell you what, I had the classic example, yeah? With all this rain we've been having, one of our drains overflowed outside obviously it sounds like um, an interesting story oh it's proper interesting um <laughs> when the rain stopped i went out there to kind of have a look and it was just basically full of muck and whatever else and and i thought ah oh, do you know what i come in handy now one of those drain unblockers that i used to have um you know those kind of like big like cable things oh, and you yeah, like shove yeah, them yeah. down and then you wind them back up but years ago when we had like a bit of a drain problem at a previous property never used it ever since binned it literally two weeks prior to this event and then you needed it and then boom there it was that was a good story because now everyone knows never throw away a drain blocker keep it people just find space for it you know the back of a cupboard or something because you never know when your drains (laughs) gonna block because you never know but but no anyway that's not uh, what we were going to speak about was no no that was pretty dull to be fair (laughs) just you know that's like two minutes of your life you're never going to get back but (laughs) never mind Let's make up for it quick. There might be someone out there who's literally just frozen over the bin with the drain on blocker and gone. <gasps> oh, God. That just in time. Me. Just in time. What are we going to talk about? Well, I'm not sure whether we should talk about this, but I think, okay, we, should, let's but I think we should talk about this. So we're going to go back to talking about COVID-19, coronavirus. Oof. The reason being, obviously, there's been some changes. So we are now... Start of October 2020, just in case people are retro listening to this, in the UK. And the headlines this week are, it's all coming back and the rates are rising. Do we go back into another lockdown? Yeah. Winter's coming. And I have to say that the media's kind of done what it loves to do, which is get everyone into a little bit of a spin over this. Yeah. And even the language, again, I've probably mentioned this before, but the language they use is so catastrophizing everything, the way that they talk about it. You know, there's this terrible incident and this tragedy here and this the adjectives are just all so dramatic for me mm. that it's you can almost feel yourself stop breathing when you watch the news. And like if you stop for a second and reflect on your body as you're being told these stories, you'll find that you're like tensing in your neck and and you're holding your stomach like with literally fear because that's what yeah. is being fed to you. And it's it's a real shame because we do want to have some information and we do want to have some practical steps that we can do. And that does come through in parts, but you have to sit and sift through a lot of the, you know, oh, this this is a terrible story. Here's another terrible story. We're doing a phone in about this terrible story and people are going to phone in with more terrible stories. I have had to turn the radio off so many times. Yeah. And if you are someone who's quite, you know, emotionally sensitive to this, I've just found that it's... It just affects me physically. Like I said, I just suddenly get home and I'm like, I can't even breathe properly. Like I'm literally, I suppose you're just feeling the fear of a lot of people right now. Yeah, well, I mean, I was um, chatting to someone about this the other day. I've just realised how many sentences I start with that. What? I was chatting to someone about this the other day. <laughs> yeah, it's because you talk a lot. Yeah, I do. Two people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have this um, image of people on dog walks seeing yeah. you and going... Take a lefty, take I'm, a lefty, get out of the way, he's coming. I'm that bloke in coffee shops who just starts conversations yeah. with random people. Don't you haven't seen him? 
Look down, look, look down. I'm not that bad. We do that. I'm not we that do bad. that occasionally, don't we, though? Huh? Look down, look run, down, run, look run, down. Run for cover. <laughs> Everyone does it. I'm sure people have done it to us, to be fair. But what I was saying was, was like, there's this fine line, I think, between watching enough news to stay informed yeah. and then watching kind of too much to the point where it just puts the this fear in you, this panic. And it's, it's really hard to find that balance, I think. Yeah. Because obviously you don't want to be ignorant to this because it's it's pretty darn important. But at the same time, I suppose like with all things, there is such a thing as, as information overload, right? Yeah, yeah. And I um, think there's also, you want to be empowered a little bit yourself and, yeah. and to help friends and family. And if you've got elderly relatives, I know I keep checking in, you know, in terms of my parents, like just to make sure they're doing everything that they could be doing being kind of high risk vulnerable categories. Your, your parents well. have been really good to be fair I think yeah they are they, well you know they're kind of doing everything that they've been told to do yeah. essentially so if they yeah but anyway I think what I would like to share today is I've done a few webinars and sessions and looked at some papers on some helpful guidance that's out there from a kind of lifestyle perspective yeah. and supplement perspective that I think there's just some interesting stuff that people... It's nothing that we haven't been told before that most of us don't already know, but it, it's just going to maybe consolidate some things that we should be focusing on rather than yeah. kind of going off into a spin about this. And I just want to kind of... You know, before we start talking about all this stuff, there, you know, I'm only a, a nutritional therapist and we, we had Tommy Wood on the podcast and he talked about the fact that this is kind of like science in action. There's just so yeah. little that we know. So all, all I'm going to do is kind of share the low-risk safe stuff that you could probably look at you know implementing for yourself and for your family there'll be details you know there's probably more details coming out all the time about this but that's why for actually a big chunk of the time I kind of turned my back a little bit because it was getting so messy listening to lots of people talk about supplements and nutrients and herbs herbs to support the immune system and because again this is all taking place currently we actually don't know what the long-term effect is and we actually didn't know if something was going to help or hinder. And there's no controlled trials at this point in time either. So it was a lot of guesswork. It was mm-hmm. a lot of hypothesis. So for a lot, for I actually kind of end up walking away from it all and thinking, I'm just going to leave this now. And just everything I know about the immune system that can be safely implemented is what I've recommended to anyone that's asked me that question. And a lot of that has been a nutritious diet, you know, and uh, immune balancing nutrients, nothing that's kind of overstimulating and sleep stress management those types of things don't do things that actually end up driving the immune system you know down in certain or certain aspects of the immune system can be driven down by emotions and lifestyle factors like stress Mm. so you know and that's a lot of that is what i will cover today but with a little bit more detail that i think people will actually feel a bit more convinced by it as well so to know the mechanisms right cool sounds fantastic (laughs) are you excited let's get into this bad boy (laughs) So first of all, I think it's quite interesting to know, this is this was an interesting point that I didn't know about. So the coronavirus itself is just a sack of protein. It's got this little uh, lipid bilayer on top of it, which is very fragile and can be broken by soap. So that's why there's that whole thing about washing your hands washing your and hands, why that right. makes it really helpful. But a single cough can release, this is interesting, 3,000 droplets into the air at 50 miles an hour. So the cough is kind of the danger bit, I suppose. And that can release about 200 million virus particles into the air. So you can think of the spread of that. And that's why cough and sneeze into your arm really quickly, if you can. And it's thought that about two metres is where you would avoid this. So it's really interesting that we've now got a one metre recommendation. I don't know why there's been that change other than 
I know hospitality almost demanded it, didn't they? Because right. two meters would be impossible. So again, my takeaway with this is we also know that different people, different age categories are more at risk. And so I know my parents personally said, I'm not going to eat out because there's no point. Mm. And they haven't done. So they've they've visited people in gardens and they've taken their own food and things like yeah. that. But so I don't think that we all need to avoid those situations, hospitality schools, whatnot, but the high risk probably do. And that's, again, a takeaway from that point. But the virus particles can be suspended for longer in things like cigarette smoke. So another thing that I would probably get people to consider is standing outside of pubs where people are going to be smoking. Uh, we know that smoking is also a risk factor. And then also you're maybe more likely to get exposure because of that as well. So just something else to, to keep in mind. And I just think of people that might go outside with, even if you're a non-smoker, you go outside with your mates, don't you? Yeah, yeah. Sometimes. Or if you're working, again, in an outdoor environment, sometimes people just smoke, don't they? I know um, my parents have got builders in at the moment and they just keep smoking quite near to them. And I'm like, I've several times highlighted that they should be smoking way away from, you know, other people, basically. Yeah, yeah. Uh, mainly for the smoke, but actually now I know this, I'm like, now they should definitely be smoking. So, <laughs> so, so say that again about the smoke. So it can be, the, the virus can be suspended in air for longer in cigarette smoke, so it's hanging around for Evil. longer. All right, okay. Right. So when obviously when people breathe out. Yes. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know with the cough, it's flying out, but actually yeah. it might stay in the air longer with cigarette smoke. Right, okay. So this is what I'm saying to you. So is some of the spread outside the pubs where more people are outside anyway, the kind of pubs and places like that. But everyone goes outside to smoke, don't they? Or outside a restaurant to smoke. Not oh. so much. I wouldn't say you see it so much in, I don't know, I suppose in the cities that this is going to be a problem as well. I don't know if, I wonder if, you know, kind of pollution makes a big difference. I don't know. Probably not, I'd imagine. Yeah, right. Because it's not coming from the mouth. From the mouth, yeah, no. yeah, yeah, so ignore that. And then you've got the different stages of infection, which have been really well detailed on the on the news and... You know, the first one is kind of usually what the virus will do is it, it latches on to these things called ACE2 receptors on your cells. And we have most of those in our nose, our throats and our lungs. So it's really easy for them to kind of infiltrate at that point in time. So it latches onto your cell. And then what the virus does is it's able to get into the cell. And then from there, it kind of kicks off this basically like a an immune system response and we get water drawn into the cell which causes cell swelling and then eventually the cells are well they eventually die but not in a way that they should normally be programmed to die so it's 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 kind of causing this level of chaos at, at cellular level yeah but in doing so and as you know there's kind of an inflammatory response which is involved in the next phase of the the infection and that's one that's received quite a lot of information and that's why you're also seeing day seven to 14 is quite important in terms of that yeah, might be yeah. where you're you're at greater risk because it's where that in, inflammatory response will take place and what you tend to see with the the inflammation side of things is that again it's this is why those pre-existing conditions are really important because it's about your body's ability to control and balance and modulate inflammation. We need some inflammation. It's really important. It's a, it has a protective mechanism, but we also need to be able to stop it and, and control it and resolve it as soon as possible, as soon as, as the immune system has done its job. And there are a few things that are really helpful for that. But I think one of the dangers at the moment is everybody's off looking for supplements and herbs that might support your immune system. But what you've got to remember with the immune system is if it's already in a state of inflammation, certain aspects of it, so it's got there's different arms to the immune system. 
certain aspects of it are already overstimulated. They're already overactive. So do you want to put something in there that's actually going to drive that arm of the immune system further? And that's why we've got to be really careful and you should really seek professional advice before just taking a supplement or a herb. Um, You saw echinacea, elderberry, vitamin D and zinc just fly off the shelves, didn't you, with the when the lockdown first started over here, we couldn't get hold of those nutrients at all because of their reputation. And what's quite interesting about some of those now is they're actually suggesting that you avoid them once infection has set in. So whilst they might be quite helpful to you in terms of having a protective effect or a a preventive preventative preventative effect on infection. I was like me the other day. I just couldn't couldn't get words out, could I? What was yours specifically? Wasn't it? Huh? Was it specifically you were struggling? Yeah, with? just couldn't just couldn't put the word together. Specifically, oh. there Why you is go. That, do you think? Don't know. I think it just happens sometimes. I think you just have like you know you just got your brain just goes a bit. Bleh. <laughs> yeah, your brain's saying <laughs> stuff. <Well, yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, what were you saying? I'm going to do a little rewind, actually, just saying that some things are useful maybe to pre- in terms of preventing infection. Oh, no, once on. you're infected, oh, no. they're not necessarily going to be useful and, oh, yeah, and, and yeah. it could be or even even have an adverse effect. What, why is that then? Because, so I'm just going to backtrack actually here and just explain that you've got something called your innate immune system. Yeah. And the innate immune system is, again, it's what you're born with. And it's very, um, it's not very educated. It's not very good at differentiating between things, but it's it's very good at when it's commanded to to get into action. It it kind of goes at things like a you know like bounces, just gets in there and gets rid of stuff. The best way I can explain it, and you've got an adaptive immune system, which is a little bit more sophisticated. So this is made up of T cells and B cells. And these go to school in the lymph nodes and they learn a lot about what's an enemy and what's self and what do they need to attack. Mm -hmm. And B cells release antibodies. So they're much more, they've got weapons. And the best way I can explain this is you know Braveheart, my favourite film? Oh, yeah, of course. You know, I've always wanted to be able to use it for educational purposes in some way. Here it is. This is your moment. <laughs> yeah. Make it a good one. You know where they get all of the... When the Scots want to go and defend themselves against the English and they go and round up a lot of the clans, don't they? Yeah. And uh, and they're a little bit more... If you, The clansmen are kind of... They just literally charge in, don't they, with their axes. They don't even care. They're like, just go for it. And then you've got the men at the back on the horses who can see more and they can see what's going on. And they're kind of like, we could do this or we could use bow and arrows. We don't actually have to get involved in it. That's kind of like the difference between your innate and your adaptive immune system. So your innate is just getting in there and getting getting stuff done and it's it doesn't have that same degree of sophistication and then the adaptive immune system is much more, ah, I remember this virus, you infected the body a while ago, I know what you look like, I've got a picture of you and therefore I'm going to instruct different elements of the immune system to kill you. I'm going to get some some white blood cells here, I'm going to call the uh, innate immune system in, the, the, the rough clansmen in and they're going to destroy you. But they, these are the horsemen at the back. This, yeah, yeah. In the adaptive immune system. So the reason I'm explaining that to you is it's it's quite important to, to note that different genetically, you can have slight imbalances in your immune system. And then there's lots of lifestyle factors like stress, your hormone profile, lack of sleep that affects both of these different immune systems. But if we just move on to your adaptive immune system, this is the one that's got the, the T cells and the B cells. Yeah. And your T cells... I don't know if you remember me talking to you about this uh, ages ago. On, I think we've mentioned this on a podcast. 
you've got these Th1 and Th2 cells, and it's like a seesaw that can tip. And for a long time, nutritional therapy and I think conventional medicine has always focused on this is probably the difference between why somebody gets a lot of colds and somebody doesn't and why somebody might have things like eczema and asthma and sinusitis and other people are more prone to maybe an autoimmune condition. Does that make sense? Yeah. So why are some people vulnerable to this and other people vulnerable to that? And it got this this balance between two. It's a bit like a seesaw. We've all got Th1 and Th2, um, basically immune cells that, that work for us. But what happens with the seesaw is it can tip. So you can become Th1 dominant or Th2 dominant. So basically one bit of your immune system is working really well, but another part of it's weakened. Right. And then what we tried to do, and I say we because it's kind of happened in, in medicine and, and nutritional therapies, identify if you were Th2 dominant, you were more likely to have things like atopic conditions. So eczema, dermatitis, asthma, um, all of those types of things. So you had a certain bit of your immune system was overactive because mm -hmm. those are inflammatory conditions if you think about it. So your immune system is working, but it's working too much. And then if you were Th1 dominant, you were more likely to have maybe like immune uh, autoimmune related conditions. So there was a big list that was developed. But it's way more confusing than that because this, this seesaw moves up and down all the time. And then just to kind of confuse things a little bit more, we discovered another T helper cell, which was Th17. So another right. cell got identified. And then what we realized was there's lots of different things influence the balance. Then there's this another T helper cell 17 that's also very much related to your gut function. And this seems to have a role in autoimmunity and a lot of these chronic conditions that most people are suffering from. So, and the reason I'm saying that is there's no simple way of explaining your immune system. It's really, really complicated because I used to think I was probably TH1 dominant because I hardly ever have colds. I don't have asthma. I don't have um, eczema. I've never had those types of things. And if anything, I always thought I was probably more likely to get an autoimmune condition um, because I've maybe got an certain parts of my immune system were overactive and suppressing things yeah and whereas you're the other way we've often talked about your more skin rashes sinuses um you know kind of respiratory stuff going on aren't you yeah and you're supposed to like the opposite immune system to you so i always thought you're probably more th2 but actually one thing i've noticed in the last year is is kind of changing my work-life balance and and changing my stress i've actually had more colds and things like that so i don't think it's that at all i think that's related to yeah just too much ad adrenaline driven lifestyle oh, God, yeah. suppressing my immune system was probably my problem and the reason i'm telling you this is because what we also know is something like echinacea or even the elderberry and even vitamin d can actually push up certain elements of your immune system so it can actually increase um so if you're th1 dominant it might not be so great for you and right. it could actually make some of the um, some of your immune response it could heighten it further but in the wrong direction so it could worsen autoimmunity and things like that so when people are looking for this simple answer of what will protect me from covid echinacea it, it's, it doesn't work like that at it's all that and you should be really careful and you should go and work with someone a nutritional therapist or a herbalist go through all of your health history and your signs and symptoms and i would say the, the experienced practitioners will be able to go it definitely seems like you would benefit from this herb because I've seen it work really well in the past for someone with your similar type of immune profile. And you might have even had some tests done as well that kind of, you know, give you a little bit more of an insight into your immune system. There is no real way that of, of kind of trying to identify whether you've got a little bit of dominance of Th1, Th2, other than 
some people talk about measuring your immune system chemicals, your cytokines. And we're going to talk more about those in a second. But one, this is only done in your kind of alternative medicine, functional medicine world. So I've not really seen it recommended in terms of a conventional medicine from their approach yet. And also, this is when you get to a point where I don't even think you often need this test sometimes once you get an individual in front of you and start to assess their lifestyle, their sleep, their yeah. work-life balance, their emotional health, that, yeah, that yeah. type of stuff. And what's really fascinating when you look at herbal medicine and traditional Chinese medicine is for a long time, a lot of the things that they use, a lot of the herbs will do a number of things. They will tone down things like your your nervous system response to stuff. So, you know, things like ginseng are known to kind of help. Ginseng can help with energy because it can help in terms of the nervous system. It can give you function, it's aiding blood flow. But it also starts to change gut bacteria as well. So it starts to help decrease some of the more maybe opportunistic bacteria that we don't want in there that are kind of linked to uh, Crohn's and bowel disease and, and irritable bowel syndrome, things like that. But at the same time, it's, it's building up your your bifido, your protective bacteria that are going to stop infections from creating havoc and getting into the body as well. So it's really interesting. And the more webinars I've sat on, Chinese skullcap was recommended as one of the things that might be helpful in terms of having this kind of like immune balancing effect so it's not stimulating one arm or the other. It's not pushing the immune system in, in a certain direction. And um, it was fascinating because I've gone and translated all the Chinese herbs I've been on for, for the last few months. And that was one of them. And then one uh. of the reasons being because it can build up the good bacteria and it can help, again, with opportunistic infections in the gut. So I just thought that was really fascinating. So again, big shout out for, for Chinese medicine there. That's it. <laughs> Well, are, you I mean, with, are you with me still or are you like oh no i'm still i'm with you i'm with you i mean it's because uh, how long has it been now since you've been using like chinese medicine 10 months wow yeah gone quick isn't it yeah it's interesting because the more complex cases that i get i've always said that a lot of the symptoms that i had were very much linked to to hormones because they felt quite cyclical so although i had something wrong digestively it was definitely absolutely linked to my nervous system. Like, uh, God, as soon as I'm stressed, I can feel yeah, the inflammation yeah, kick off. And I've never had anything like this in my life. So then the minute that kicks off, that kind of scares me. And then it goes into a cycle. And it can be anything from like too much adrenaline. And, and it just all starts, you can, you can kind of feel the inflammation. But it also, I go through phases of feeling like I'm absolutely flying on top of the world and I could like out-train you. And then through phases of like, I need to go to bed. I feel so yeah. vulnerable and weak and tired. And it's very bizarre. And that, again, I think is is linked to the hormone cycle that that's happening and that's, that's taking place. And the other side of it that, that has been really interesting for me is from an immune system perspective, I've had, I've been more vulnerable to new things, like I said, colds, which I've never had before. Yeah. Um, but I don't tend to get things that, you know, touch wood <laughs> flu and things like that i've not had anything like that yeah um so it's just very interesting and in fact one of the points actually that was asked on a webinar that we were doing with our members was what are your thoughts on the flu virus a uh, flu vaccine which was really interesting wasn't mm-hmm. it and i personally remember doing this years ago and, and i'm not going here to talk about vaccines or comment this is my personal experience i had the flu vaccine and was really ill off the back of it yeah i think um, that's quite common though isn't it yeah it's quite common and i just thought well i hardly ever get flu anyway i think i've had it like a couple of times in my life so i'm not going to do that again and the interesting you could you could almost split our office between those that decided that the flu vaccine really worked for them 
and those that were like, no, I didn't like it either. So again, just to give you that idea of that individuality of our immune systems. And that's why I think with trials, it's so hard when you think of all the different confounding factors that are in yeah, place yeah. that could affect the outcome. There's just so many things. Uh, I'll read this out to you. There was a paper that was, I think it was back in 2012, that said that having a flu vaccine meant that you were, I will quote it, I think it was over 400 times more likely to be susceptible to other respiratory infections. And the reason being, and this is not to kind of rubbish the the flu vaccine, it will undoubtedly be so important for some people and save lives. Um, I'll read it out to you. So a 2012 study found that children who received an inactivated influenza vaccine were 440% more likely to acquire infections of respiratory viral pathogens, which were not influenza. So it's really protective against flu. Yeah. But then because it's doing something that the kind of suggestion was, is it suppressing elements of the immune system or inactivating or weakening certain elements of the immune system, which meant other things are then able to infect. Yeah, yeah. So again, it goes back to the type of individual and how much their risk of flu is and, and whether it's right for them. So again, similar to the supplements, the, the kind of vaccine and medical interventions just need that element of personalization. It's not get this vaccine, it works for all. It was my kind of takeaway from that. Have you ever had a flu vaccine? I actually, I was just thinking that when you were talking about it, um, I honestly don't know. I don't know if maybe I had it, because how often are you meant to have it? Well, I was in an office and some people had it, I think... I, I haven't had it for as long as I can remember. Yeah. So maybe I had it when I was a, a kid. Yeah, but, I don't know. But beyond that, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure. But but again, you know, like, I mean, I've spoken about this before. You know, this kind of ties in a lot with much of what you've said. But when I changed my diet all them years ago, my immune system's just like almost, a big difference. almost bulletproof now. Like it's very, very, very rarely do I get ill. Whereas me kind of getting flu, uh, cold and flu used to be such a regular occurrence. Yeah, yeah. It was like, a, you know, it was almost like clockwork, you know, especially in the, in the, in the colder months. And yeah, I'm, you know, I'm very pleased to say like I probably, yeah, I don't even know how many times I've had like a, a, a cold or a, well, I can't remember the last time I had a fl- like flu, but even when I have had a bit of a cold, it clears so quick. Yeah. Compared yeah. to before, it would almost like linger for so long. So this is interesting. So I got a cold a couple of weeks ago and it was so embarrassing as a cold in that it would be like literally one blocked nostril when I woke up. So, and I'll say it, it was almost frustrating because it was like, I could use this for a day off work. Like I actually, like, I am my own boss, but yeah. I was looking for a reason to book myself a day off work. And it was like, just one block nostril and then basically, you know, you cough up the green guitar. So I was like, yeah, I've definitely got a cold. And then it would clear in the day, so I'd be absolutely fine. And then it would come back late at night, as they often do, don't they? And a little bit overnight. And then you were like, oh, you sound like you've got a cold again. And that, and that was it. And it cleared really, really quickly. There were no other symptoms with it. And it was almost like an embarrassing cold, like literally as in not even worthy of the title. <laughs> like it was yeah. that, that week. Um, but I mentioned it to my acupuncturist and she is trained in... Um, she actually lectures in acupuncture I'm going to get her on the podcast because I think she'd be brilliant and she is also kind of trained in eastern medicine you know she that's the type of acupuncture that she practices and their language is really really different but 
She says in Eastern medicine, Chinese medicine, and again, bear in mind, this has been around for thousands of years. They say that the two changes of seasons, so the transition from spring to summer and then from summer to autumn are quite difficult on the body. And it's when the body does a lot of cleansing. And this is, again, they're using different language terminology. This is the same in, I was reading an article on Tibetan medicine. They've said this for years. And apparently that the body builds up heat over the summer when the cold weather turn, when it comes along and, and the weather changes, that, that contrast is really difficult for the body and it almost has this massive clear out and that's when you can have a cold or a flu or, or any kind of immune response, but it's a good thing. It was your body kind of trying to almost rebalance and it was interesting because my cold came almost as we had this downpour of rain and the weather really switched and again, which you kind of go... You know, traditionally as kids it's all like well I got really cold and wet out walking the dog but yeah. it's just interesting that it was when the weather really switched and the light the dark mornings kicked in that that's when I kind of my body just really felt it and then the same thing going from the the spring to the summer and again I'm not trained in in this so forgive me if you are as a listener and you're thinking she's doing a really rubbish job of explaining because it's a completely different language and philosophy but it kind of makes a bit of sense that from the spring to uh, so over the over the winter the body's colder and then suddenly this influx of heat from the external environment yeah. creates a similar kind of conflict and the body then has this adjustment where it has to change everything hormonally physiologically and the immune system gets activated and again you can have a clear out and you can have a cold and that's quite normal yeah yeah just interesting no i suppose like um you know when you're on holiday and they say, don't they? Like oh, because yeah, you're going from cold to heat then maybe as well, aren't you? Yeah, but even but, they say, well, you know, when you're going for like your hotel room, which is like blasting oh, sorry, the yeah. aircon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you go outside and it's hot and then you're in your room. Yeah, 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 that's true. I got really sick actually in America one year. That was like a cold. Uh, it was a cold I think I got. And, and it was because when we were in Florida, the whole step outside and it was like ridic- hotter than I've ever known in my life. It was my first time going to America. So very much yeah. I've never experienced that heat before. And then step inside and you're blasted with aircon, yeah. and I'd be shivering. And then by, I think it was like the fourth or fifth day, I got felt really sick and got cold. And I just was like, my body can't deal with this, this quick temperature change. And it was, yeah, just very bizarre. But I wonder how that works with like, um, you know, like, with like hot and cold shower type thing. Or, you know, like Wim Hof. Yeah, true, yeah, because he's like... But but, it, but he, even he says you build the cold exposure very yeah, gradually, it's not, doesn't yeah, he? Yeah, doesn't that's he? true. And then you're kind true. of doing it on a regular basis. And whenever I've seen him doing the ice stuff, it's generally in a cold environment as well. I've yeah, it's not like him. he's like, yeah, in the middle of Dubai or something like yeah, that. They yeah, they go and jump into a cold bath. I'm not sure how our bodies respond to that. It's almost like, like cold the and then go colder. Colder, yeah. yeah, that's true. That's a good point, actually. Interesting, isn't it? Um, mm. Anyway... Um, so I was just going to read off some of the risk factors. These are all out there uh, at the moment. But in terms of risk factors for COVID are advanced age, race, obesity, male gender. And some, a bit of an interesting stuff on that. And then prior medical history. So cancer, immune suppression, kidney, liver disease, diabetes, stroke, hypertension. So that's high blood pressure, cardiovascular and respiratory diseases. And then smoking, I think, is in there as well, isn't it? Now, And one thing that I just wanted to say about the advanced age side of things is that a few things that have been identified is, is things like the, the low hormone and the low nutrient status of, of a lot of the individuals could be playing a role with that because of the importance of micronutrients in your immune response and your ability to kind of quell inflammation in the body and control inflammation. So again, there's talk of why aren't the elderly offered a little bit more guidance on, you know, kind of micronutrients. Many of them are low in B12, magnesium and iron. Yeah. Um, and 
we were talking about this, I think I might have mentioned on a previous podcast, how many of them stop eating meat because they feel it, they can't digest it because the digestive system just with age weakens. Maybe they get low stomach acid. Maybe they can't chew and swallow properly or they get pouches in their esophagus. Uh, we've seen this happen, haven't we? So they, they're scared of having something like meat, for example, which would get stuck in the esophagus and then they can't swallow. Whereas obviously mashed potato, it's a different story. Yeah, it goes yeah. down a lot easier. And if you're listening, you've probably noticed that elderly relatives do start eating a lot of things like, you know, kind of cake and bread and yogurt and, and just rely on kind of very soft foods yeah. and therefore just risking those key nutrient deficiencies. And a friend of mine that works in a GP surgery said it's a big problem that they're constantly having to look at now B12 injections, B12 tablets, iron tablets for the elderly. Yeah. And they're not getting, because the, the surgery doesn't have the resources, they don't actually get any nutrition guidance at all yeah. because it's just not there. So, And if they couldn't have these foods, could they be blended into, for example, slow cooking, you know, kind of meat is makes it completely different once you've denatured all the proteins and it's very soft and falling yeah. apart much easier to eat and traditionally we would have had more stews you know especially in winter as well but we've stews were a big part of my childhood and they've yeah, kind of sure, fallen yeah. out of favor now haven't they a little bit and same thing once it's cooked it could be blended into a soup so that's another way around if you were helping somebody cooking for them wanting to kind of help them with their immune system think about could you get more of these foods in a couple of egg yolks in there would be a, a a multivitamin as well with yeah. abundance of, of micronutrients and that could be blended into a soup a porridge actually did you mention your cheesy porridge on the last was that on the last no no I don't think I did actually did no because we, we were chatting about it the other day weren't we yeah I thought you'd mentioned it on a podcast but yeah go on tell everyone about your cheesy porridge because I think this would be a winner yes yeah, so it was I suppose we were talking about like making food from home and like the cost of food and talking about but you were also saying about your grandparents' influence on you. Yeah, that's so what I mean. when the money was like, running low, like what would they do? What would they do? And yeah. like, you know, like sometimes, you know, we've spoken about this before where you just always seemed like our grandparents were just very good at making food go a hell of a long way. You know, making the most of, you know, like, you know, like we've always usually use the example of a chicken. You know, it's like you obviously use the meat of the chicken and then you'd use the bones to make stock and that'd make soup and, and whatever it may be. But my granddad used to have like a cheesy porridge, which was obviously oats, milk, cheese. And I'm pretty sure my nan used to put egg in there yeah, yeah. as well. And um, so obviously it's a very... You know, because nowadays you kind of, most people see porridge as like a sweet thing, you know, whereas I'm, I'm sure there's some Scottish people that are like, no, oats and salt, yeah, yeah, bush, yeah. that'll still do me. Whereas yeah, in I, the Outer Hebrides, I think it was where we started eating porridge, it was savoury, it was salt, yeah, salty yes, porridge. Exactly, yeah. which, don't get me wrong, sounds delicious to be fair, but I suppose I've grown up always, well not grown up because... Um, my, you, my grand, you've my never gr grown up. <laughs> no, I've never grown up, <laughs> but no, because my granddad used to eat savory porridge it was more as i got a bit older that i started to like you know see that it's all about like the fruit and yeah, syrups yeah, and, yeah. and all of that stuff being added and i suppose i went down that road <laughs> <laughs> <Quite happily. laughs> um but i was talking to, to keris the other day about this cheesy porridge that my, my granddad used to have and actually even talking about it i just thought oh I need to cre recreate that. That, but that would be such a nutritious breakfast for a kid, for for any of us. Yeah. But I was just thinking, very appealing for children, for elderly people as a dinner. 
it's it's not well, bad. Well, that's, <laughs> well that, but that's when my granddad used to eat it. Oh, really? He'd have it for his dinner, yeah, oh, really? or sometime his his lunch. Yeah, yeah. Not for breakfast. Yeah, yeah. You know, my my granddad was very much a kind of a cook breakfast every day type of guy. Yeah. You know, like eggs and bacon or yeah. You know, something along those lines. But yeah, sometimes for dinner he'd just have. Cheesy, cheesy, porridge. cheesy porridge so I'm going to go on it I'm going to make it happen oh I actually genuinely got a bit of a craving for it now just thinking if you could add I mean, who doesn't love cheese if you could get some garlic in there for a bit of an immune boost that might be too much right now might be yeah might be <laughs> let's say you know <laughs> step change yeah step change. step change but then you know like Kerry said like you, it's a great way I mean it's very very low in cost but it's also pretty darn nutrient dense you know fear fair enough there's no vegetables in there but there is still a lot of nutrients to be had in a dish like that. Yeah, yeah, no, no, definitely. But like I say, the appeal back then would have been, you know, it's it's warm, it's hearty, it's tasty and it's cheap. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and, God, I genuinely want some now. <laughs> I'm going to get on there. Someone must have, like, let me have a look online. What, did it? Huh? Yeah, someone must have done, like, a recipe for, like, a cheesy... Cheesy porridge. I've done a cheesy flapjack. Cheesy vegetable flapjack. I think I called cheesy jacks. So cheesy porridge. Whilst you're looking up cheesy porridge, savoury oatmeal with cheddar and fried egg. Lovely. There you go. I'll look into that. Put a Matty boy with more twist on it. Go for it. So what's next? So before I move on to the supplement side of things, because whenever we mention supplements or you know you can eat this food. That's really easy to do and lots of people do that. Yeah. But it doesn't bring the desired results if mm. you don't think about the big no. picture. So the first thing that I want to speak about is stress. So with stress, we've done lots of podcasts on this and we're all work in progress when it comes to stress. You and I included. Yep. Good days, bad days, good weeks, bad weeks. And I just want to share with you the fact that the immune system is so affected by stress. There is, there's a study here just done on academic um, medical students, actually, which you can imagine is really stressful, being a medical student. And they just observe things like uh, natural killer cells, which are part of your innate immune system, decreased with stress. Uh, you also saw a decrease in uh, production of something called gamma interferons uh, by your lymphocytes. So again, these are just arms or branches of your immune system that are really important for your kind of defences. The list goes on, essentially just saying that you just saw, one thing that's quite interesting, a decrease in um, T-cell proliferation. And T-cells are also really important for what they've identified at the moment is that T-cells, which are part of your adaptive immune system, the more sophisticated one, and you have killer T-cells, memory T-cells, and then helper T-cells. So there's different types. So your T-cells can become different things and they work in different ways. You can imagine how all of those different things work by the name that they have. Killer cells just walk up and can to a cell and can inject stuff into it and like die. Right. So T-cells are really important, but what they've noticed with COVID is that they think maybe the T-cells are really important because of previous coronaviruses, that T-cells might be really important in terms of their memory function, more so than antibodies. But all you ever see in the news is antibodies, Antibodies, don't you? So have you got antibodies to the virus? They think T-cells, and this is all still being investigated, but might be more helpful in terms of the way that they're remembering the virus. Um, So in terms of whether you have immunity going forward, we still don't know the answer to that. But there might be a kind of role for the, the T-cells with that. But T-cells are very much affected by things like stress. So again, when you talk about having long-term immunity from something, we've always got to be thinking about what's going on in the big, bigger picture with the body. But 
what I was just mentioning was when it comes to viruses as well, uh, uh, cells that are very important for viruses are in the body most of the, they, they are latent in the body so viruses get into the body and they hide and many of us have viruses that are there all the time the one that most people know about is herpes mm. um, and Epstein-Barr they reckon most of the population has Epstein-Barr virus inside the body but it can only begin to proliferate and so it's latent it's not doing anything but it can begin to proliferate and replicate if the body's immune system gets run down and that's when it takes that opportunity opportunity to kind of essentially just multiply and then that's when we'll get the symptoms and viruses are really good if you are infected by something else so many of these things work together which was identified in some of the research that what you found with some people once they've got this uh, with coronavirus or get very sick is that they respond quite well to not just antivirals and some things that are helping from a kind of viral inflammation perspective so steroids are being used I think some of the autoimmune drugs are being used as well for treatment uh, anything that helps with kind of glutathione synthesis so I believe N-acetylcysteine is being used which we take as supplements in small amounts but it can be administered intravenously right. for more kind of um, severe cases in hospitals so anything that helps with your kind of antioxidant defense systems once the inflammation is there. But also uh, in some instances, antibiotics as well. And that's because bacterial infections are going, well, there's there's a big party going on here. I'm going to get involved as well. So you get a lot of co-infections working together when you've got inflammation present and the immune system is run down and the body gets run down. And I think this happens a lot with what we might typically call burnout in somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have so many people that, end up working with me either at the edge of burnout or because they've had burnout and they often have this whole host of symptoms ranging from migraines to coughs cold to histamine related stuff so sinusitis hay fever and they've just been for years taking antihistamines and thinking i've just got hay fever and that's that i've just got sinus problems and that's that but actually all of it gets linked And all of it is linked to what might be the bigger picture, which is actually the kind of emotional stress um, and trauma and things like that that have been going on in the background. And maybe they've been building and accumulating as well. So you have to take all your symptoms as just feedback on your systems. It's your car making a funny noise. You know, it's your phone switching itself off when it shouldn't. And we get that fixed straight away with our body. We're like, well, it's just not working. It is what it is. (laughs) just got this but it it is one thing after another and then at some point they all start to affect one another but the whole time this is going on just imagine your immune fortress your strong wall just declining you know just fall crumbling down the other thing to kind of keep in mind with that is that there's a structural element to the immune system so we've got barriers everywhere you know that a barrier around the gut a barrier around the brain a barrier around the lungs and what tends to happen firstly cells are really important for maintaining that barrier and they cells run on micronutrients and macronutrients we've talked about that a million times now so a nutritious diet is fundamental for you to be able to keep building your your barriers back and protecting yourself but once we have inflammation and infection you see the barriers open up and uh, and this is what we would call leaky gut in the past but we now know there's maybe leaky brain uh, sorry leaky lung so the same thing is happening in the lungs and then same thing can happen in the um, nasal cavity and then that can go to the blood-brain barrier. So that barrier can start to become more permeable. That's dangerous because stuff gets into the brain. 
then we're in big trouble. Um, and same in the kind of urogenital uh, area as well. So anywhere there's kind of hollow hollowness in the body, we have these barriers to, to protect and then they can become right. permeable. And that's often the case with inflammation. And the reason I'm saying this is you are now seeing people who've had COVID have what's called long COVID afterwards. And long COVID is basically thought, it's, it's like a post-viral fatigue but they also have brain fog skin rashes memory problems a couple of people i know have said literally feel like they're walking through mud like have to wow. really take it slowly and 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 these are somewhere you know healthy individuals fit, in like fit people. Like super lethargic or... yeah and it, it can last a bit like chronic fatigue you could be looking at six months you know three six months and that's something that there's a bit of discussion at the moment about are we also creating because with those symptoms when you've got inflammation in the body you also see a down regulation of things like serotonin and dopamine so people feel awful because your body just wants you to sit still essentially while it kind of deals with this so you can feel very depressed as well as the kind of brain fog that comes with it and a bit of a discussion about in six months time are we going to now have these these people then requiring that help as in mental health support or kind of almost like chronic disease support because they feel so awful and and i'd say chronic fatigue is just that one area where conventional medicine just doesn't really have that much to offer because it's one of those where you'll often have some tests done you might have a few markers of inflammation up some a few things a little bit wonky but other than that there's nothing that they can find but you can feel terrible with it and that's why integrative medicine alternative medicine herbal medicine is often a little bit more in tune with that because for years people have had things like this going on where you can't really explain it there's nothing on a test we don't really know Um, but that's because it's probably related to immune system dysregulation or viruses that have been hanging around that are now taking hold but none of that is showing on it's quite hard to find it on blood tests it's quite hard to find it on imaging we won't find it on any imaging scanning so you essentially get some kind of diagnosis that's, that's basically we don't really know what's up with you we'll yeah. call it irritable bowel syndrome we don't really know what's up with you we'll call it you know chronic fatigue or me is the kind of other other term but that's what we we kind of know is probably going on this combination of inflammation an imbalance in what's called the body's redox capacity, which is when you've got inflammation present and cells are being damaged, imagine, you know, your kind of house is just being hit by a load of thugs just constantly chipping away at it and breaking the windows and and chipping away at the walls and coming in and maybe trashing the kitchen. And if they go away, you're able to build that back with the, with the resources that you have. You know, I think the advantage, the example we used last time was the messy kitchen. Do you remember I said, yeah, yeah. you you do all your batch cooking and everything, you hammer the kitchen, but then give yourself that space. You can tidy it all up and build it back. But you can't, if the body is chronically stressed or chronically infected or chronically trying to, to balance all of it together so imagine you trying to train for a marathon but also you know you're being attacked constantly by a virus at the same time which does happen so your body's kind of trying to multitask like mad you're trying to expend lots of minerals and 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 macros to do your marathon which you've always wanted to do but your immune system's creaking trying to protect you from all these things that are trying to capitalize on 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 your body being a bit run down or your immune system being a little bit unbalanced and the end result is that you get a lot of free radicals running around the body. And they are just a bit like, I don't know, the best way to go. I'm trying to think, you might be able to help me with this. Something that's just damaging everything. I'm just trying to think if there's something that's just flying around, damaging everything. Like imagine, <laughs> <laughs> what are them little cameras that we have in our drones? Right. Imagine a little drone 
just going around your house, just smashing everything up. It's got it's got weapons on it. That's okay. like a free radical in the body. A malfunction drone with weapons on. <laughs> <laughs> Such a bad example. Anyway, and then your antioxidants. So you've got micronutrients like vitamin E, vitamin A, CoQ10, um, are able to, and vitamin C. Your antioxidants are able to give it an electron, the drone. <laughs> right. They give it an electron and it's like taking a battery out of it and then it goes, and it, it drops to the floor and it's harmless again. Well, okay. <laughs> I need to work that one. Yeah, I do, don't I? But, but yeah, I, I, I see what you're saying. Right. <laughs> that's the most important thing. Yeah. So that's what's happening with COVID, with Epstein-Barr, with chronic fatigue, is you've often got a lot of drones going around knackering the structure of the body the cells yeah and then if you think about it in your kitchen imagine <laughs> this is getting so random how do you cook a dinner party when you've got this drone in your kitchen smashing your kitchen up right you don't cook the dinner do no. you so cells yeah. can't function get a takeaway <laughs> <laughs> so a cell can't function can't do its job it can't repair the gut it can't fight it can't if it's an immune system cell it can't phagocytose something can't eat yeah. something can't deliver oxygen to the brain so everything so but stops. this obviously like goes back to you know what we've we've mentioned previously when we've spoken about uh coronavirus and but even just what we always talk about really in terms of just doing the best you can to look after yourself and get get the nutrients in there yeah. from your food but also being open-minded to the fact that you know it's not just about the food you know we need you know you've obviously already touched on the whole stress thing and what that can do to our uh, our our immune health just to go back to my terrible example it's like (laughs) so that's so serious take it down to like a cell level i can't decide whether the cell is the house or the kitchen but let's say the kitchen is a cell in your body yeah Mm. and you know the kitchen is is there to make stuff so we're gonna we're gonna do a dinner party, yeah. Yeah. And you've got this drone in there, and it's going around, it's smashing everything up, right? Yeah. It's got weapons on it, it's making a right mess, and you're not getting chance to clean it up because you're still trying to cook for the dinner party. But you're also on the phone ringing and inviting more people over for dinner. That's what we do with our body. Right. So we get feedback, things don't work. We get symptoms. We lose function, function of our immune system, function of our blood sugar regulation, function of our skin's ability to, to heal itself and mm-hmm. be clear and stop infection and inflammation as well. So it could be your skin, your hair could be falling out, comes in all different ways. And we still keep ringing up and inviting more people for dinner. <laughs> like, I don't know why we do it. And that is one of the problems at the moment. We still stress, we still expend energy on things that don't serve us. Yeah. And, and then we wonder why our bodies are not able to heal and control inflammation and fix like they should be able to and that's me and you in this category you know we've done this as well you know we have taken on more work we've said yes when we should said no we've stayed up working when we should have gone to bed we've trained when we should have rested it's just so many different examples kind of of reminds me of like our to-do list and it's almost like we we give ourselves a to-do list that's too big in terms of our day-to-day kind of like work yeah but then we don't get through the to-do list, so we get and get frustrated with ourselves. So then almost to, to try and compensate for the fact that we didn't finish our to-do list, we give ourselves more stuff to do yeah. to try and make <laughs> us feel like, you know, like we've been super productive. But then as a result, back. you know, you make it even harder for uh, harder for ourselves to get the job done. Yeah. 
See yeah. what I mean? Yeah, it's no, like, you know, totally it's, it makes no logical sense whatsoever, yet we do it. But that what I just wanted to highlight, though, is that, that element of which uh, immune cells are just... Many of the things like the T cells and the killer cells are affected so much by stress. So we've got to be thinking about, like you've just said, stress management is not just... It's just not just a nice to have. It could actually be the thing that makes the biggest difference yeah. to you. And it's going to take many forms. And I know lots of people will be listening going, well, it, you know, easier said than done. And I completely oh, agree. Of course. Of course. Um, and believe. like. But, you know, it can start with 10 minutes, 10 minutes on an app, 10 minutes doing some yoga, 10 minutes doing yoga nidra, anything like that. That's sleep yoga. And I have to just say, actually, and I've been the worst. I've changed a lot in the last 10 years. I've been the worst in the past, especially when we first got into exercise and running a business and stuff. I was so fight or flight. Like you couldn't have got me to do a yoga class for a start or meditation. Not even, it wasn't even on my radar. I didn't even think, I remember laughing when someone first told me about recovery and days off. I was like, what? Where? why? Yeah. Why would you do that? You know, because like, <laughs> I, was, that? I thought I was getting away with a lot of stuff. I was actually speaking to someone about an injury and he was like, when's your recovery day? And I remember going, why would I do that? Anyway, you, you you learn, you, you go through these experiences and, and you mature slightly as well and start to understand, you know, how the body works. Mm. But just on that note, uh, we did some somatic yoga yesterday with our 365 members, not taught by me, but by somebody who did yoga training with me, but has gone on to do yoga therapy training, which is a, a master's, it's very intensive. And what's really interesting, I've done yoga with her before. And luckily it's when I'd got to a place of, starting to understand that for all the strength stuff I love and the running, if I don't do some things that kind of bring me down into rest, digest and reproduce, I just end up in so much trouble with my health and with my mental health because it, it really can lead to anxiety and other stuff. But she did this somatic yoga session last night and she did a playlist which really helps me because music makes me able to kind of yeah. tune out of work. I'll listen to it. And it's really interesting because... It's very much like some people might do yin yoga or just mention yoga nidra. You aren't doing that much movement. And if, but what was so interesting about this session is I regressed it. <laughs> like literally, she was getting <laughs> us to do glute bridges and hip bridges and stuff. And I was like, no, I'm just going to lie here. <laughs> and I literally did just lie there and follow the breath work and the more gentle movement. And you can feel it making such a difference. Yeah. But I would never have made time for that. Not even a couple of years ago. So it's no, only, no. I would say, in the last 18 months. And it has to be, and it's specifically her and a few other people that I just, with yoga, it's very, you kind of connect with certain teachers yeah, that yeah. just really spoke to me. And I was like, God, when you speak, I feel my entire nervous system relax. Like yeah, there's something yeah. about your voice and your style, your music that really resonates with me, but it does help you in terms of become a different person. And so I did set aside time to do that. And I, you know, I'll do that as often as I can, but for other people, it might be just, like I said, 10 minutes on an app. 10 minutes of breathing, deep belly breathing, watching something that I, I'm also a big fan of watching first dates and like goggle box and stuff on my phone that can sometimes just take me out of yeah, where my way. head's going, you know, like it, so it just, it takes many forms, but you know, walking in nature is probably our favorite and, and Hamish has been out, you know, kind of kept us accountable to doing that, but we can't keep talking about it. We can't keep, and also creating a lot of expensive problems. Got to be about it. But it's expensive to, to have these health issues. It could mean that you have time off work. Yeah. It could mean that you have to pay for medical treatment, private tests, yeah. or supplements, herbal medicine, and, acupuncture. And, and like you say, like I think for for a lot of people, it is still the missing link. Yeah. Because the thing is, like you, you know, stress and sleep 
just go together. You know, that's that's a fact, you know, especially if you are stressed later in the day, especially kind of not long before you go to bed. You know, it's going to affect your sleep. Of course it is. You know, I did. I, you know, I had the exact same issue just a couple of nights ago. You know, I, I worked late and got a bit wound up about a couple of things. And as a result, you know, no surprises, I had an awful night's sleep. Again, something we've mentioned time and time again, it's that knock-on effect. You know, then the next day you're tired. So then you're like, oh, more caffeine, more sugar, you know, and it's hard to nip it in the bud. You know, it's, you know, so it's almost, you know, we know it's not easy. So when we're saying these things, we know it's not just like, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, I'll do that. Yeah, boss, job done. This is probably the one thing that takes the longest, that is the hardest to do. But don't let that put you off because... It's, it's probably something that you'll never be in full control of, and that's the reality, but you can get better at it. And that's the, the most important thing. If you can get better at it and see some improvement in managing your stress and improving your sleep, as well as there being negative knock-on effects, there are, of course, positive knock-on effects. So, you know, I highly recommend, you know, if this is something that you've been struggling for a while, give it a little bit more attention. I think also with this, whenever I'm speaking to clients about it, something that's really obviously missing is conversations. Yeah. And I often have to say, have you had a conversation with so-and-so who's demanding all your time or so-and-so or so-and-so partners, children, parents, colleagues, bosses? Like, I think we did mention this last time when we talked about being stressed and busy. Conversations are important. Yeah. And you've got to communicate where you're at with your mental health, with your physical health. If it's creaking, if people care about you, they'll step back and, and, and help. And I think yeah. what we're all guilty of doing a little bit is hiding sometimes what's going on, sometimes from ourselves, but in denial, you know, not going to get tested on when we should do and putting everyone else's needs first. Uh, but definitely hiding what's going on from others. And then that's why they continue. It's not their fault. They're continuing to demand your time and ask for help, you know, and it could be anything from lifts. I'm seeing loads of parents say, you know, constantly giving lifts to the kids or, you know, like taking them here, there and everywhere, trying to entertain them. Similarly, kind of helping out parents, whatever it might be. And you've got to communicate where you're at and then start to say, you know, quantitatively, I'm going to take this night back and this hour back and I won't be available at this time. And I've been told to do it. And I think the hard thing is once I have a client, I'm like, tell them that you, your nutritionist said or tell them that <laughs> I said, you know, which it shouldn't need to be like that. But it just helps if they can say, a bit, you know, if, if a doctor told you that you needed to rest and shouldn't go up to London, for example, to train your clients, all your clients would be like, well, of course, Matt, you know, doctors yeah. say it. Yeah. Whereas if you say it and go, do you know what? I've had a really... Um, I'm tired after the weekend. I don't think I should come up to London today. It just doesn't have the same weight behind it, does it? But we do need to be a bit of a, a kind of GP of ourselves sometimes, yeah. you know, and say, realistically, things are not good. And I just need, it doesn't take long. Sometimes it's just a bit of half an hour, hour here and there. Sometimes it's a day off. Sometimes it's a bit more time at the weekend. So I think have those conversations. I think that's really important. No, I'm with you. Okay. So what can we do? And so I've mentioned all those pre-existing conditions and being Obese, we know this, and sedentary has also been highlighted, is a risk factor, again, for having a more of a kind of um, severe infection. Yeah. So again, we know that blood sugar regulation is really important. Stress, by the way, impacts blood, blood sugar regulation. Yeah. So the next time you're screwing over something and sat there, think about your poor blood sugars. 
bit of a superhero supplement is probably at the moment zinc and i would agree with that it has antiviral antibacterial uh, properties it's thought to kind of work on some of the stopping some of the enzymes that the viruses use to replicate as well so it also they think some of the medications that are working are working because they are what are called uh, ionophores so they kind of in, improve zinc transports um, into cells as well and into the body so increase your zinc rich food which is richest sources are things like organ meats red meats and seafood in terms of per serving a little bit in pumpkin seed and then it, most people would benefit from probably supplementing, again, usually around 15 to 30 milligrams. Ideally, get professional guidance on that and yeah. in citrate form away from food. I mentioned before that they've identified that maybe being low in things like vitamin D, magnesium and B12. Um, when uh, patients have been low in D, magnesium and B12, they're much more likely to deteriorate quicker and have to go for oxygen support or intensive care. So there's wow. just three nutrients to, to keep an eye on. Again, if you've got elderly relatives, you might want to think about getting them on a really good multi and you can get sprays, yeah. which may be better for absorption. I don't tend to just put them on B12. I think a B complex maybe because um, you need folate as well, uh, which is another B vitamin. So try to make sure they've got the two together. And often with the elderly, sometimes they don't want tablets. So you might want powdered, powdered multis or there's multis that come in a drink. <laughs> Do you remember the one we gave your nan? Yeah. It was... Um, Source of Life Gold. I think it's Nature's Plus or Nature's Answer. Nature's Plus, I think it is. Source of Life Gold. And uh, I think it tastes like Kiora, but she said nah. No, she won't have it. She gave it the neighbour. Vitamin C. So again, everyone gets a bit obsessed with vitamin C. Um, There's been a few studies just saying that the flavonoids in vitamin C might be helpful in terms of inhibiting some of the inflammatory pathways. Again, I wouldn't go mad with the doses around 300 to 500 milligrams so that's half a gram and you can take it every hour if you're feeling like you have an infection or you've got a cold or something like that so many people do tend to do kind of like a more consistent dosing across the day some people do a gram an hour which is expensive and i'm not sure there's much more benefit to it but one thing to bear in mind with ascorbic acid it's it's a laxative so you don't want to be doing a gram of ascorbic acid every hour right. you will get hit bowel tolerance <laughs> so you're better doing something like half a gram three times a day instead and right. keep it safe and use buffered vitamin c if it really upsets your stomach just over to the sleep side of things one thing that's been noticed is just how much you know, I mentioned about just having that kind of the, the immune system's got memory, a memory function to it. Right. And so it knows when there's been an infection and can stop reinfection. Slow wave sleep is thought to be a big factor in supporting that. So it's not just about how much sleep, it's the quality of sleep that you're getting as well. So that's when we've got to be thinking about sleep routines and, um, you know, what you do in that one hour before bed. All the stuff we've talked about on previous podcasts. I'm not going to go back to the, the sleep stuff, but a very easy win is if we start doing a little bit more yoga, meditation, relaxation and sleep um, for immune system health. And again, you do find with the elderly, they don't sleep. We both said with our grandparents, they don't sleep as well, do they, in terms of shorter and, and the sleep quality. They often don't have... Your nan sometimes has six hours, doesn't she? Yeah, she's up with a crack of sparrows. Although she dozes off in the day a fair bit now. <laughs> <laughs> Bless her. A um, couple of other things. Uh, so green tea and questin have been shown to help. Um, they actually work in terms of improving zinc transport as one of the mechanisms. Uh, both are used, again, they, they work on the inflammatory pathways and they're quite low risk interventions. Quercetin is actually used as a supplement for hay fever quite right. a lot as well. Okay. And it's found in apples and onions. So if you wanted to get dietary sources up, think about stewed apples recommended everywhere. It's like the 
gosh, I don't know. Eh? Yeah, but it, it's everywhere. Do you know? I think there's at one point every single nutritionist was like, well, you need to have stewed apples and natural yogurt. Uh, but well, onions are known as a real kind of immune system booster as well. Um, green tea, it's matcha that has the more kind of uh, potent, well, it's has much more of the EGCG in it, right. uh, which is the kind of active compound. It's a little bit more expensive, but you only need a tiny amount, like a quarter of a teaspoon of matcha green tea. And also, not for everybody, it makes some people like you feel sick on it, don't you? Yeah. Yeah, you don't like it. Make, yeah. It does make a lot of people feedback that it makes them sick. And for some people, it could even increase their, if you have an autoimmune condition, it, it's, it could increase your uh, arm of your immune system that makes that worse. So... Not for oh, everyone, really? but something to, worth to worth considering. Whereas both ginger and garlic, they're the next two, are working on their antiviral. So ginger's got lots of different properties. So anti-inflammatory, very digestive health supporting as well. But as with all these things, sometimes and ginger's good for things like nausea, but I've had some clients take it and say that they don't feel great on it. So although I'm saying it's good overall in the research you always want to take it and then if it's not for you it's not for you but both ginger and garlic have this immune balancing effect so they're not too stimulating to the immune system like we mentioned before with like the echinacea and the elderberry could be driving up the immune system so these would be good to take as preventative and if you've got an infection of any sort across the winter so you get a cold flu anything up your ginger and garlic and garlic you can just take if it's if it's all right on your gut some people it can cause um, burning and reflux but if you're okay with it you can just take it like a capsule like peel a clove of garlic cut it in half and take it like a capsule well don't like don't chew it no well you actually no it is better to chew it or chop it because that activates um the enzymes then start to activate as you do that process and and that's how we get the active components from it but as in you don't need to keep mixing it into food all the time unless you're going to stick it in your cheesy porridge do you remember when we used to go to Nando's? You used to get the little pot of olives, and you used to get the oh the garlic cloves, the garlic in there, whole ones. As well, yeah. yeah, yeah. I remember once. <laughs> like um, you used to go to Nando's. Yeah, it's been a while. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember when um, I was like almost a bit obsessed with those. So I went to the supermarket. You can buy a jars of garlic cloves, can't you? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, me and uh, <laughs> one of the other personal trainers back in there when I was full time PT. We had a jar in kind of like the star fruit and we were just like smashing them like sweets. These garlics, like proper delicious. Bloody hell. <laughs> our guts. <laughs> and our breath, I'm sure. <laughs> I was going to say, your mum goes mad but Yeah, both our stomachs. And then later on in the day, I was like, mate, that's your stomach. He was like, bloody awful. I was like, and it's not only me. Probably the 120 garlic cloves we ate at lunch. <laughs> Yeah, too much of a good thing. <laughs> Your mum goes mad. Do you remember sometimes we put like garlic powder is supposed to be as effective as well. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, you can use garlic powder. And um, you put quite a lot, like you put like a teaspoon on, on some chicken thighs or something. And then the next day your mum's always like, oh, you stink. Oh, yeah. How much garlic powder did you use? She hates it, doesn't she? But to be fair, over breakfast, it's not the most pleasant thing, is it? No, It's not last no. night's dinner coming out your breath. But it's funny how, like, you can't smell it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, to my mum's so sensitive hey. to it. What have you been eating? Good morning. Hi, hi mum. <laughs> how are you? <laughs> right, some other things that are helpful. Uh, just on the inflammation side of things, so I've already mentioned omega-3s would be another one on there as well. There's something called, I'm sure we did a podcast on this before, Nuclear Factor Kappa B, NF Kappa B, because I said he's like, a, it sounds like a rapper. I don't know why. It does it actually, sounds yeah. like a rapper. Kappa B. It's kind of like the, 
one of the not a ringleader but like a master driver of inflammation and what he right. does he he's a man all right he's inflammatory yeah. oh charming <laughs> so once a cell detects that something is wrong like has these receptors or it can receive a chemical signal it will receive a chemical signal to its receptors and it's it sounds like okay something is wrong and it has nf kappa b is in the cytosol in the cell so it's inside it floating around it's got a little protein case around it and immediately that protein case is degraded we've had this warning and it kind of knocks on the nucleus door and says to the nucleus make loads of proteins that are basically going to be more inflammatory signals to other cells and then they'll be released so it keeps driving inflammation from one cell to the next cell so one tissue to the next tissue one organ system to the next organ system that's how it works so anything that inhibits nf kappa b is thought to almost be working kind of on the top bit obviously you also want to change the chemistry of the blood a little bit there as well but that's why we always be thinking about rosemary is very good for it for example and then what did I just say? Oh, um, so a couple of things that have come up are Chinese skull cap, which I mentioned. So again, you'd want to go and see a reputable herbalist to be given something like that if it was what you wanted to explore. And licorice. But it's the form of licorice that's um, you'll have taken it in supplements before where it's I think I can never I can never say the proper name for it, but it's it's deglycerized or the, the active components taken out. And you can right. just take the because licorice itself can actually increase cortisol in the body. Oh, really? It, it extends the half-life of cortisol by inhibiting some enzymes. But you can get a version without that that's really helpful and often used for digestive health. So for colitis, Crohn's, celiacs, all those types of things. And it kind of helps in terms of restoring mucosal health. So it would also be helpful for anything to do with the throat, maybe respiratory, like asthma and stuff as well. So licorice, again, that's going to be a nutritional therapist or, or herbalist that would recommend that. Um, what other... What haven't I mentioned, do you think? So we've done garlic, ginger. What's your other food item that everyone goes mad for for inflammation? I like curcumin. Yeah, turmeric is on there as well. Uh, Again, so worth putting in, but it's not going to be... Lots of people are already taking it as capsules or uh, food-based. It's quite expensive, I think, to get the most effective supplement form. So I often say to people, either just do the food form or get the mariva turmeric is is really expensive and i think there's probably more things that you could work on and just yeah. use it through food instead yeah um, this is again you know that kind of reminder you know don't don't start just fo- you know focusing on that one thing again and buying this supplement that yeah, supplement yeah. and no, definitely and whatever look at the bigger picture you know if for you it's you know it's clear as day that you're, you somehow seem to only be getting like four or five hours sleep a night yeah. that's where your focus needs to be yeah do you know what i mean yeah, yeah, if you're working way too late that's where your focus needs to be you know start getting that in check and then start complementing it with the other stuff i'm not saying ignore the other stuff but i'm not i'm saying don't prioritize the other stuff over those things no so i mean and, and just to kind of summarize so the main kind of warnings were against doing things like echinacea um, i didn't mention medicinal mushrooms which i love this is your maitake shiitake reishi which are often recommended you'll get them in like teas and blends to put in a smoothie really helpful but again what they tend to do is increase certain arms of the immune system and decrease certain arms of the immune system and so therefore again they could be immunostimulating which we don't want necessarily once you've got infection set in so whilst you might ideally under guidance be using them for prevention once you anything sets in stop all of those and same with vitamin d so stop the vitamin d once you've got the infection whereas you're going to be pretty safe just continuing to take things like zinc your garlic and ginger 
a little bit of turmeric in your food is always going to be helpful anyway. And that's when you might want to see someone about the, the Chinese skull cap and the, the licorice and also some antioxidant support. So I will often give things that help with glutathione production. So that's your, <clears throat> it's almost like your master cleaner <laughs> that goes mm-hmm. in. You know, you've got your, your drone in there smashing up your kitchen that someone's going to go in there and actually like take the drone out completely and then allow the whole cell to restore function. And that's what glutathione does. It's your, your main antioxidant within the cell that, that will restore function but um, nac is a supplement that we can give or you can have glutathione supplements as well just to try to again just increase amish just eating a bone uh, just to try to increase your your body's status i think then glutathione status so i think i've, I've kind of started summarizing and then went off on a tangent but i think i've, I've kind of summarized it the final thing i would say is that vitamin a and k are also been discussed in that vitamin a is really helpful from a, an immune perspective and i think if you you've got an omnivorous diet you're probably sort of for vitamin a because it's in animal foods and dairy yeah if you've eliminated those you might want to think about supplementing with vitamin a a little bit again do that under guidance and vitamin k what they've noticed is with covid patients if they don't have good vitamin k status because there's a kind of a blood there's a coagulation um with inflammation you always get blood clotting function is changed yeah. and you need good vitamin k status um it's actually a, a blood coagulant but good vitamin k status again seems to be quite important for once they have those severe infections for basically the outcomes at that point in time so they're kind of saying not that vitamin k is preventative or used as a treatment but you would want good vitamin k status especially as an elderly person or someone who is maybe at risk of it and K2 as well, which we often take with vitamin D. Yeah. So you just want to make sure that you're having dark green leafy vegetables as your food source, which I don't know when was the last time you saw your nanny dark green leafy vegetables. In a while. <laughs> yeah. So things like kale, spinach, rocket. So again, they could go in soups really well and stews yeah. and stuff. But if not, again, a really good multi is probably going to have their, their needs covered. And with vitamin A, you can often do uh, cod liver oil. I didn't mention that before as well. So I think that's everything. Um did I mention... I did mention sleep, didn't I? I just I think then. Uh, one uh, final thing. This isn't over here. In America, a way that people are, can just buy melatonin over the counter, there's been some discussion of, of using that as well. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, in terms of when there's, uh, again, small doses. We've talked about this before. I think we had when we had Tommy Wood on the podcast using a very small dose of melatonin. It's been used in cancer studies and all sorts of things now for again immune support and uh, you know kind of hormone balancing all that kind of stuff again don't you can't buy it in the eu it's banned it has to be prescribed by an endocrinologist and and i've only come across one or two cases where doctors have recommended it for uh teenagers actually here oh really yeah so um i came across a case where a teenager had quite bad anxiety at university and insomnia and uh, the doctor had prescribed melatonin and the parents were quite concerned but i said actually this has been done under guidance and you know could be really helpful because if you can restore the sleep then she'll get blood sugar balance and actually maybe better mood health in the day once you've got sleep deprivation the mood is you know well you know you, we, we all know this yeah, it's, yeah it's such a chaotic effect on your yeah, brain and, average, and yeah. it's so hard to be rational with sleep deprivation so i think you know don't if, if it's recommended professionally ideally then it could be something that's quite helpful but yeah it's been i think it's been explored over in the states a little bit more than here that's it really and that's that yeah <laughs> that's it <laughs> oh one more thing oh blimey that's that's Mind- three one more things about mindfulness now. and meditation lowers nf kappa b which is 
that master ring, the driver of inflammation in the cell. Right. The, the rapper. The, oh, yeah, Kappa B, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Should think of a little... That's all you need to do is like, think of like a little rap jingle. Yeah. To, to like, you know, to, to explain these things. Yeah. To get the point across. There you go, that's your homework. I think I need to get some better analogies first. Don't rather know. than a drone. We got, we got there in the a end. A drone smashing up the kitchen. We got there in the end. <laughs> Don't worry. People knew. If I had more time in my life, I'd think up better analogies, but I don't have enough time. I didn't... Uh, oh, where, my gosh. Where, where's, where's that book that our friend bought you? Someone did, didn't they? Better analogies. We found about it the other how day. To, how to get better analogies. I think I need to read that. There's one final point I've not mentioned. This is quite important. Oh, go on then. Low testosterone. Oh, yeah. And I mentioned this to you. Low testosterone uh, is thought to be maybe one of the reasons why, again, kind of elderly men... I think there's so many reasons why elderly men might be more of the, the high-risk category at this point in time. But again, you tended to see low testosterone associated with poorer outcomes and severity of infection. So again, it's not that it's associated with getting COVID. Yeah, yeah. It means that you have a, a worse experience of it compared to somebody who has healthy hormone levels. Right. Because both estrogen and testosterone are involved in, in immune regulation and, and the balance and I think kind of inflammation mechanisms as well. So again, something worth considering. So what drives down testosterone? Lack of sleep. This is men and women. Lack yeah. of sleep, stress, poor diet, not balancing your blood sugar levels, lack of healthy fats, zinc and magnesium are really important for healthy testosterone. So definitely think about that. The usual suspects, really. Yeah. You know? It all gets very repetitive, but hopefully knowing some of the mechanisms might help with... Yeah, but uh, yeah, exactly. I think that's the point. Like, we often say this, don't we? accountable. That like, you know, a lot of the time our job on a day-to-day basis is is kind of repeating the same things over again. And that's not a bad thing. It just it's just because, you know, they're the things that are important, they're the things that matter. And it's about kind of getting that point across. And and we've always said this that if people can understand the why a little bit more, then it increases the chances of that message kind of sinking in a little bit more and someone actually taking action upon that knowledge. Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, it's something that we always say, you know, it's people say like knowledge is power. And it is, but it's like, well, actually, action is power. Because if you don't do anything with the knowledge, then, you know, it's just that. It's just knowledge. It's just something you happen to know. Yeah. But if you're not putting it into play, then, well, yeah. I'm going to read one more sentence to finish. Oh, one more. Leave on this note. No, no, so it's not on point. This is to leave on this note. So interleukin-6 is one of the inflammatory chemicals that we release into the body. Once we're releasing, it's like an alarm system just going off and again signaling cells to release more inflammation it's been shown that psychological and physical stress can upregulate the production of interleukin-6 negative moods such as depression and anxiety can upregulate the production but individuals who have a history of being stressed demonstrate a higher cytokine so that's these immune system chemicals higher cytokine response when re-exposed to a stressor stressor again so you almost have that exaggerated immune system response to stressors right and that can come from, and that's why I think you're seeing it affect people who do a lot of training, for example. Right, yeah. An overtrained person would have really certain personality type as well, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, of course. As well as the physical stresses that come with it. So that's it, really. So I think we all need to start... Chillaxing a bit more. Chillaxing. Sleeping a bit more. Being kind. I see it being good to ourselves. Yeah. Looking out for ourselves like we look out for others. Yeah. Be the doctor of yourself. <laughs> Wouldn't you say be, be your own GP? Be your GP. <laughs> Oh, Keris, you're a wealth of knowledge and an absolute stunner. 
thanks. You're, 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 you're the ultimate package. I don't think I did a very good job of explaining that, but I did. I enjoyed it. Okay. <laughs> so I think <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're, you know. you're sorted <laughs> yeah, exactly yeah I'm alright oh, well guys I hope you enjoyed that I hope you come away with something like we always say you know if you can come away with with one thing that you kind of like feel that you can you've got a better understanding of and you feel inspired to make a change then then happy days we can't change it all at once right no and uh, hope you've enjoyed it and we will see you over in episode 157 we will wow. bye bye Nearly there, the 200 mark. Yeah. Ish. Ish. (laughs) (laughs) Bye, guys. Bye.